Pazuzi has been poured. The candle is lit. Welcome to the Horror Salon. I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, the witch. All right, witch. Oh. Where do we start? Tonight is an episode after my own bleeding heart. (laughs) Your own cold, dead heart. My own cold, dead heart. It is an episode all about book nostalgia. Back in the day. Back in the day books. And it's the teen angst edition, which I still feel heavy teen angst in my soul. (sighs) That's interesting. I don't remember reading a lot of teen angsty. I went more back in the day horror that that. I liked. Love that. Um, Because I was a little too old, I think, with the Babysitter's Club and some Mm. of those. See, I don't even can't even name a teen angst i cannot wait to hear what you have to say oh, now I have, a, I have a lot i have a lot um I, I i have planned to paint a picture for everyone of who the witch was <laughs> in her teen years <laughs> and it is as if you are reading your own novel that's how stereotypical so was. what should i translate that into uh, tell us about the Pazuzu so I can start drinking. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. okay. So the Pazuzu has been inspired by teen angst, and it is a vampire kiss martini. It is red. It is red. It is red in color. And it is, uh, so it's just a fun play on um, a martini. It's vodka-based. It's not a traditional martini, which is usually gin. So it is a vodka-based martini. And it has a little bit of sparkling uh, wine in it. So it should be kind of fizzy. And the recipe itself uh, that you'll see on on our website, it calls for raspberry liqueur. I did not have raspberry liqueur on hand, but I did have pomegranate liqueur. So I used pomegranate rather than raspberry. So that's what we're drinking tonight. Uh, I think, you know, whatever fruity liqueur you have. Probably interchangeable. It's probably interchangeable. If you want it to be red, I'd use a red fruit. (laughs) But other than that. Whatever do you mean? (laughs) Or use a different fruit and use some red food coloring if you want it to be red. There you go. That's my tip. That's my tip of the night. I think we can end the podcast. I think there. we can end the whole thing. <laughs> mean we can end the whole it. thing there. Yeah. So okay. uh, let, let, let's try this it out. It smells really good. Yeah, it now smells fruity. Now how I feel about like the bourbon forward, like oh, the, the saddle forward drinks. This is the first concoction I have introduced that is not bourbon or dark liquor based it is so this is a special night yeah i have a little better relationship with vodka Um, yeah yeah Yeah. all right i'm doing it all right that tastes like college it has a bite on the end of it yeah it does why nothing i put in there has a bite in it the pomegranate liqueur maybe maybe that's it Maybe the there's something there in that in sparkling that, wine. I think it's I think it's both. Maybe it's both together. But that tastes really good. It does taste very good. Almost like a fancier version of a um, cran- vodka cranberry. 
Hmm, I think that's that, why that you might Cosmo? be getting the college. You might Maybe. be getting college from that because I drank a lot of good cranberries in college. And it, it also kind of tastes like Kool-Aid. Yeah, I can get like that. Like an adult Kool-Aid. I can get that. <laughs> hey, I'm just whatever. staring at you. Yeah, no, that's good. Whatever. That's a good it's one. A good, it's, a, it's a good one. It's It'll be easy to sip on tonight mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. And it's red and festive. It is. To go along with the theme of the night, which is back in the day books. Um, okay, so what were we reading back in the day? Uh, books, magazines that we, you know, snuck peeks at when we could. Absolutely. Uh, I remember one very, a very risque uh, issue of Sassy Magazine when I was in the seventh grade. Sassy Magazine. Sassy Magazine. Love that. Um, and in that particular issue, um, there were pictures that showed the proper technique to French kiss. Were they real pictures or cartoons? They were real pictures. What? Yes. Of two people stick doing the tongue can thing. we can we just take a second here uh, that photo shoot okay hold your <laughs> tongue like this like i'd actually cramp probably probably that would be unpleasant yeah proper technique to french kiss man i that went around the the girls in uh, the oh, band it was in the um the band room that i remember looking at it oh i bet and like also i don't want to see pictures of that ew well i mean i did then how much you know how much French kissing have you done in seventh grade? Well, that's fair. So it's kind of a new frontier. That's that's a fair. That's fair. That's fair. You've 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 French kissed an apple because that's what the movies told you to do. An or, apple or your hand, as the lips. I don't remember French kissing. You never French kissed your fist. Not my fist. No. Wow. I, no. Wow. I think maybe I French kissed a pillow person. I had the boxer. Do you remember oh. those things? Everybody kissed something, right? Everyone kissed I, something. I, if you didn't kiss something, then I don't understand. <laughs> okay, so where do you want to start? Okay. So you you went the theme of um, horror that you were enthralled with back yeah, in yeah, the thor- day. Yeah, hor- thor- horror. Horror and creepy horror. stories. Horror and creepy, creepy stories books, that yeah. you were enthralled with back in the day. I went with kind of a genre Okay. Um, that I was particularly enthralled with. Uh the paranormal romance. And that's going to explain how many times you made out with your fist. That probably will explain a lot of the <laughs> fist kissing that was going on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, let's dive into your yours because I'm going to get some more of this vampire martini in me and then just kind of, uh, you know. You're going to let it rip? Let it rip. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, Back in my day, uh, the number one thing that came to my mind when I started um, thinking about things that I loved um, was the magazine Fangoria. Yes. Um, I almost subscribed to Fangoria very recently. I was on the website today, actually, and I think, I, I think I'm going to. I don't know great. why I haven't. I but yeah, it's yeah. It has um, it has been a fantastic magazine um, since what 1979. Yeah. So, um, but the covers terrified me. They enticed me. Um, was I allowed to have one when I was a kid? No, because oh, you know, no, it's too satanic or blah blah blah. Right. You know, whatever. But when one wants something, um, even back then, outside of 
the realm of the internet. Um, I had I had a couple little episodes or episodes, a couple issues in my bedroom mm. because my friend's brother had a lot of them. That's right. So That's you right. know, um, and for those who don't know Fangoria, it is basically the best horror and cult film magazine out there. Oh yes, um, it's been around since 1979, and this was back when horror was basically still considered a subculture. It was not in the mainstream. And anything that was the pu- that was published about horror tended tended to focus on the classics, like mm-hmm. the Universal Classic Monsters and things like that. Or anything more in depth was kind of um, they were fanzines, uh, oh, okay. very specific fanzines. Yeah, um, Fangoria was cutting edge. Um, it offered exclusive interviews with horror filmmakers, mm-hmm. and the thing about it that I remember most. Um, that was, and not knowing then that it was a cutting edge thing, but feeling that it was cutting edge, they had behind the scenes photographs in there. Oh, that's cool. From things and no internet, no, you know, all we had was TV and magazine and books and magazines, you know, we didn't have the internet. None of this was at our fingertips. So you all of a sudden feel part of it. Yeah. So you really felt like you were seeing something special, right? You were being let in on some, um, some secret yeah um that's so cool which i loved so it didn't start with a bang though this whole magazine and it and it floundered a few times um but the first issue that really put it on the map because it started out as more of uh like fantasy films the Mm, first mm -hmm. several episodes or god i keep doing that the first several episodes um hashtag episodes yeah episodes Mm -hmm. Hold on, I'll get some of this in Yeah, get some, get some vampire martini um, in you and you'll, you'll say words right. Um, or at least you'll think you say words right. So, right. <laughs> um, so, you know, and everything comes back to one thing for me. And you're going to, and this is related to that one thing. Um, there was an article in that first issue about Tom Savini. Okay. Um, and Tom Savini is a special effects guru mm-hmm. who worked a huge amount with George a. Romero. I mean, drinking game. How many times I say Romero in an episode? That's great. Whatever. Um, but it talked about his work on Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. And showed behind the scenes pictures from it. Yeah. Um, and all of that. So that had to be enthralling to you. It was. And, you know, my my thing with Romero didn't start till later uh, in, in earnest. But I remembered um, one of the first VHS tapes we had mm-hmm. when I was a kid was Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. So I at least knew knew who Mm -hmm. George Romero was. Um, So it was that that article and uh, that was something different. You're seeing um, you're seeing behind the mask, behind the scenes. And so that that's what resonated with people. So uh, the people who own the magazine just finally let it was some young editor. I'm not saying the name of anybody who created this thing, really. But um, they let this guy. Uh, off and running with it and um it really that's when it really started to take off as the horror magazine that largely is still today right right um in the seventh issue um it had uh stanley kubrick on the cover for the shining as a matter of fact wow um you know we we have a whole episode about stephen king so But that was there. Um, Which, speaking of, I don't know if you have this in there, but I feel like when I was doing that research for that episode that he had a connection to Fangoria. Did you see that at all? I feel like he may have written 
for them at some point. That would not surprise me. Or at least he, I'm, I, he has definitely been featured in it. Okay. Numerous times. Okay. But maybe he did. Um, and maybe it's in my research and I just, you know, have not really, or I have forgotten it. But um, that issue, that seventh issue was the first one to uh, to be produced that focused solely on the horror that was happening in the la- latter part of the 20th century. Wow. So it was it was more modern. It was mm-hmm. more in the now uh, of what was going on. Um, and there was no floweriness to it. It was just raw horror. Wow. And that that was cutting edge. Right. Um and so that was the formula they they honed and that's what they went with and that's what it still is today. Wow. Um, they've done some other stuff as well. They do sponsor, uh, an annual convention. Yes. Um, yes. It was called the weekend of horrors, but then it changed over in 2009 to Trinity of terrors. We need to, this is going to have right. to be a road trip or something. Yeah, for know. sure. Um, they have a distributing arm that produces low budget, uh, mm-hmm. feature films. Um, they do the annual chainsaw awards, yep. uh, <laughs> yep. which is voted on by readers, which yeah. is super cool. So cool. Um, so they've really dipped their fingers and they've diversified. Um, the current owners apparently are, are working, you know, well into the future podcasts, TV projects. Um, they, they had in the, uh, in 2020, I think is when they put out their first couple of podcasts. There's one called colors of the dark and there's another one, um, it's called the King Cast. Is that that's a thing? That's a the King Cast is a podcast about Stephen King. Okay, I well say, then, or like a featuring his works or something. Okay, like yeah, that. then then yeah, yeah, there it is. Awesome. Um, there's a book I want to get. I'll just give a little shout out to it. It's called Fangoria Cover to Cover: Thirty Five Years of the World's Most Popular Horror Magazine. I saw it on Amazon. I think I'm gonna oh yeah, I'm gonna grab it. that. You got it. Um, but just as a little. Um, ending to to my love of this, some of the covers I absolutely remember, and some of them scared the bejesus out of me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't run. I, even as a kid, I didn't run from things that scared me. I'm like, ooh, ooh what is this? What is this? What's this feeling? Um, I've mentioned this in one of my other uh, one of our other podcasts. Um, one of my favorite B movies is called Prophecy about the mutant bear. Mm-hmm. There is a cover with that friggin' thing on it. I love that um scary the motel hell cover with vincent in his Mm -hmm. giant pig head yes um well i feel like that's what i love about fangoria is it goes beyond the uh popular like the 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 mainstream horror and it it, does deep dives into these little niche Mm -hmm. uh you know obscure kind of cult classic classics yeah um and i love that because those are some of the best ones they are they're the ones you remember yeah um you know and and that's something they've they've um really focused on Mm so and they've kept that going which i love yeah um the hellraiser cover i think Mm -hmm. it was it was either hellraiser hellraiser 2 with the skinless face Mm. jesus wept and the sexy cenobite cover that had the the female cenobite yep with the flayed scalp Oh, Jesus. good lord. You know, and when you're a kid, you don't know what the hell you're looking at. No. No, you don't. All I knew was I was like, oh, I want to read that magazine. Um, I have a few of the of the classic old ones. I have I have that Tom Savini one, mm-hmm. the first one. Um, but there's a Day of the Dead cover. There's a, a few Romero covers. I've I've got a good number. I'm probably missing some, but yeah. um it is just it, that magazine has been there for horror readers and horror lovers 
Forever. For years, forever. Forever. And I still, even now, when I look at an issue, I still feel like I'm an insider. Yes. Looking at these behind-the-scenes yes. photos from these things, from these movies, these old movies. Uh, well, I guess now old. At the time, they were n- new, yeah. Yeah, but... New. It still feels like insider information. Mm-hmm. One of the recent covers, um, there's a good Godzilla cover. I think it might be the cover, the most recent cover even. Um, but there is the the Jordan Peele Us, yeah, the cover with uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Mm-hmm. I first of all I love that movie, but that cover is awesome. Oh yeah, um, I bet I haven't seen it, but I bet it is. Yeah, so because that movie lends itself well to imagery. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, we should probably talk about that movie in a whole. Oh, yeah, that that needs its own thing um, for sure. I loved that movie so much. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I digress. So, but anyway, it's just one of those things that's been kind of a staple, and I've just I feel like I've just always known about. Yeah, you know. So absolutely, that was the very first thing that came to my mind. Well, I love day. that too. Would you call that one of your first kind of um, forays into horror? I think so, but I think it was ushered in um, by what we talked about on a on an early podcast, um, the Saturday morning super host, sure, and yes. uh, Fritz the Night Owl, yes. But but they all kind of happened around the same time same when time. I saw my first Fangoria magazine. It might have even been at the library, like oh, a sure. half ripped copy or something. I don't sure. even I don't even remember how I became aware of it, but once I was aware of it. I thought about it a lot because sure. I really wanted it. Well, I only ask that because it feels very natural to um, get into this kind of, as you said, felt like a subculture at mm-hmm. one point, and then to consume Fangoria, which deep dives into the obscurest of the obscure, <laughs> right, and gives you insider information. You immediately feel swept up in part mm-hmm. of the family, which I feel like is, yeah. you know, which is something we've always said about the horror community. Yeah. You feel so part of this big loving family. Mm-hmm. I mean, the support and the, the welcoming mm-hmm. of the horror, which is so fun. <laughs> like, it's so fun because I, I know we are the last people anyone would think would welcome you with open <laughs> arms, but we are. Yeah. We are. So, um but yeah, I, I imagine that would be such a neat experience to find yeah. Fangoria at that kind of age. Well, yeah, and then to think about it as an adult and watch how uh, the genre has just grown and evolved and catapulted uh, into what it is now. Absolutely. Um, but for some reason, I still feel like we're in a subculture. Isn't it weird? It is. It's very strange. Because the horror is probably one of the more popular genres out there at this point, mm-hmm. And it still feels like a small family. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a hard thing to to do, but it I feel like it's I wonder happening. if that's I wonder if that comes from those of us it, those of us who love the genre who have loved it from the time we were little versus those who came to it with you know some some movie here or there and I'll just say something like The Ring or sure like just, you know, they some, like a scare every or, now yeah, and then a random scary thing here or there yeah there yeah I wonder if that's the difference because there that are people be. who you know just. And I know we do. We immerse ourselves in it versus yes. people who are just sort of satellite horror fans. Absolutely. Yeah. Which I don't know about any horror nerds out there or even you, Andemic, but I have a lot of satellite horror fans in my life mm-hmm. yeah. who think it's so neat that I'm so into horror. <laughs> and yeah. like whenever we're together or we're together, but hopefully we'll be soon. Um, 
whenever you know we've been at parties or anything they always seek me out and want to chat about it and like yeah oh, did you see this movie did you do mm-hmm. did you read this did you th-? and it feels kind of like they want to be part of it but they're you know yeah they're not or maybe like um you know maybe they don't have anyone close to them that's into that same thing and it is right. it does kind of feel like I don't have anyone to share this mm-hmm. with, so I don't really go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But like when you're around, like we can chat about it or I want to pour mo- pull more of those folks in. Yeah. You know, and, and that just, t- that is exactly why I started the horror salon, um, movie night. Yes. Is because I'm like, okay, I want to talk about this shit and I want to be with people who love this. Yes. So I'm just going to invite them over to my house and make and we're food. Gonna do it. And we're going to do a double feature. That's exactly right. And then this is how this podcast is. And that, yeah, that's yeah, how the we, podcast was born. We deep dive into this. So let's bring others along with yeah. us. So yeah, all those satellite horror, horror nerds who might be listening to this or who you horror nerds might know, let's bring them in. Bring them in. Because... They love it, too. They just don't realize how big of a family it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I love Fangoria, too. I We should subscribe. Why don't, why don't yeah, we subscribe? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to. I was I was on it today, and I thought, why have I not already been? Yeah. You know, because I'll pick up copies here and there, at, at and old copies sure. and stuff at conventions and stuff. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. Yeah. And you all should, too. Yeah, you all should, too. We should all. We should all do it. Let's all do it right now. <laughs> I've got my computer. Let's do it. Done. But done and done. Done okay. and done. So that's that's Fangoria. Awesome. Um so would you like to hear a little bit about paranormal romance? Oh, do go on. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me take a yeah, look. How let me take yourself? a look at this. Martini. Oh. Huh? Paranormal oh. romance. This is a whole thing for me. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm ready for it. Is it um, a living girl who has a ghost boyfriend? That's part of it. <laughs> okay. That's part of it. All right. Okay. I need to set the scene for you before I go down this. The witch. It's the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Emo music mm-hmm. is at its height. The okay. witch is sitting on her sofa on channel 500 which is like the AOL music channel she happens upon a music video entitled Helena by My Chemical Romance and it all starts I will say now I am still in love with My Chemical Romance Mm -hmm. Gerard Way is a genius Mm -hmm. that band is all musical geniuses and you will never change my mind about that and you shouldn't even try because you should just agree with me because it is truth fair enough i speak truth. you are right they are pretty phenomenal pretty phenomenal yeah so paranormal romance that, that it all starts there i go down this rabbit hole of i love this kind of gothic emotional I mean, you're a teenager. A lot of people, <laughs> you're emotional in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. And then I start getting swept up by the paranormal romance genre. So let's talk about what what is paranormal romance. So it's a subgenre, and it's considered kind of a mixture of romantic fiction paired with speculative fiction. So for those of you who do not know what speculative fiction is, that is anything from like science fiction to fantasy to horror. Mm -hmm. So that would be considered speculative fiction. So it's blending those two together. Uh, A common trope, and I would say pretty much all of what I read when I was a teen, is 
there is a human main character of some sort. Okay. And then a supernatural kind of accompaniment uh, to that character. Uh, and they're in love. So uh, the, the the supernatural accompaniment accompaniment can be some sort of um, creature. So it can be a vampire. It can be a ghost. It can be a werewolf. It can be pretty much anything. It okay. can also even be another human who has supernatural abilities. So talking psychics or telekinesis. We talked about Carrie yeah. last time. So it's just kind of the supernatural element to it. And typically, they are set in human worlds. So in kind of very recognizable spaces. I mean, you'll you'll get the occasional paranormal romance that's set in kind of a fantasy-esque world. But for the most part, they're sent, they're, they're uh, set in a very human-like world that we can recognize. So... There was a huge surge of these paranormal romances in the late 90s, early 2000s. And these are this is around the time that I'm a teenager, adolescent teenager okay. at this point. And between 2002 to 2004, 170 paranormal romances are published a year in the United Holy States. Holy shit. What? <laughs> when I say there was a surge, there was... A surge. And I want to paint another picture for you now. <laughs> I am an angsty teen. I'm wearing, I'm, I have the My Chemical Romance in my headphones. I'm wearing Hot Topic exclusives. <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have jewelry made out of paper clips that I have created because I thought that was edgy. Just adorned. Yes. Just completely You're wearing adorned. wearing a complete uniform. A complete uniform. And I'm taking my combat boots right on into that borders. Yes. And I'm heading right over to that teen section. And it is cover to cover vampire paranormal romances. When did Twilight happen? Right around this time. Right around that time? It is, is that when it definitely was? in these notes. Definitely in these notes. <laughs> okay. It is like just this vivid memory of just being bombarded with vampire. I was in the vampire realm. Did you so, pretty much stick romances. to that realm, or? Um, no, I had books on ghosts. I had books on werewolves. It was just vampires kind of saturated the market at the time. Okay, so yeah, that's just a majority true. of what I had. So, um, I did kind of want to chat with you because I don't know if you kind of saw this yourself but it feels like monsters creatures the supernatural had this sort of um arc at that time and they're continuing to have this sort of arc so before i jump into some of the stories i read and why i think they were so popular blah 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 i wanted to talk about the timeline of it because i find it so fascinating because vampires at that time were so popular you had twilight you had True Blood. Oh, yeah. You had all these vampire stories coming so out. And they they were very romantic. But they were also, like, we had talked a little bit, uh, I think in, in, in the classics episode, they, they were sexualized. Mm -hmm. But then in the teen romances, there was this element of sex, but 
heavy restraint. Heavy restraint. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so that was kind of happening and, and it was happening so often. I mean, vampire diaries. I mean, all of these sorts of things were, were happening at this time. And then it kind of just stopped. And I think it's because it, the market just got oversaturated mm, with so be. many of these stories. Yeah. But then you see this rise as vampires are cli- kind of declining in the mid to late 2000s, the zombie resurges and i would credit that to the walking dead oh hands down that's just a soap opera so hands down and to me the zombie represents survival Mm -hmm. and apocalyptic kind of themes Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of resurging in the late 2000s and has its own little kind of thing and then it starts to decline a little bit and then i would argue this is still sort of around witches Hmm. You have American Horror Story Coven. Oh, yes. You have The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, right. Witches start popping up everywhere. That remake of Sabrina was good. It is good. Or is good. It is good. So I'm just interested to talk to you about why these monsters have their phases. And what does a... Like, what does society need to... Like, what's the perfect storm? <laughs> what, why, why the vampire in the early 2000s? Why the zombie in the late 2000s? Why witches now? Like, what is going on in the world where that monster is what's needed at that time? Well, I always, there's a little piece of me. I honestly, that's going to take some research yeah. to have that discussion. Yeah. But that, that is an episode or an eerie extra. Yeah, because it's fascinating, Because it's fascinating, it? you're right. And I'm not going to have an adequate answer right now, but when... When shit is in the dumpster, I know that's going to um, give rise to some really good dystopian zombie uh, sure. apocalyptic stuff. Absolutely. So in that, uh, that I can say that about zombies. I think it's, you know, a reflection of what's happening um, in society and in civilization absolutely. at the time. I would agree. And I would, and again, I think we absolutely should deep dive into this in an episode, but t- like kind of surface level, I would agree. I think whenever we're seeing rocky sort of, um, political times or mm-hmm. just like, you, you, you know, structurally rocky times, yeah. right? You're going to get some zombie uh-huh. movies. Uh, yeah, the dystopian yeah, stuff. It's just going to happen. Viral outbreak. Anything that, you know, yes. destroys humanity. I, I, I would not be surprised after COVID dissipates that we're going to see a surge. We surge. need a new crop. We're going to see a surge. Zombie apocalyptic. It's going to happen. And it needs to be good. Mark my words. I'm sick gonna of happen. shit. It's going to happen. But I would say surface level without doing any research, the rise of witches, I would tie it to kind of these nods to feminism. Feminism and, and female empowerment. Yeah. Um, so the I exploration say, of the feminine. The, yes. The glorif- glorifying lifting up of the feminine. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And then so to kind of segue back to vampires. Yeah. Let's. Um, I feel like. There was such a strong tie, and I don't know exactly what was going on in society at that moment, but there's such a strong tie to vampires and adolescents and vampires and just, you know, coming of age, I guess I I could say. And I think there are a couple reasons for that. And from my research, I found a couple reasons for that. The, The first reason 
And I will say, I should say, everything I'm going to say, I think it has positives and negatives. And I kind of want to talk through both of those. Um, Because even though I love these paranormal romances, you have to recognize that some of them are truly problematic. Like, truly problematic, in my opinion. So, um, the first thing with vampires is, obviously, they're hard to kill. Right? Vampires have been around forever. They're not easy to kill. Yep. And so there, there's part of this, uh, I, I think when you are a teenager, and I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think there's part of this insecurity, uh, this, this fear of instability. You are like living in two worlds. You're not an adult. You're not a child. You don't know what you are. You're on shaky ground all the time. You don't know if you're going to wake up wanting to like hate the world or wake up just gleeful to be to be there. Yeah. It, it's just this such this hormonal liminal time in life. And I think the vampire is a sense of stability. It's a constant. Constant. It's been around. It's going to continue to be around. It's something that you can grasp onto and know it's not going to change. It's not going to go anywhere. It's like the safety with this dangerous thing. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I think that that has to be something that you subconsciously right, cling to. And then this, this I would argue, can, can be problematic. I think... When you think of a vampire, you think of their supernatural strength. So they can't die. And then they're also supernaturally strong. Yes. And I think that in those adolescent years, there's a yearning for, um, because you're in such flux, there's a yearning for not only stability, but also protection. You don't want yeah. the world around you to eat you alive because it feels like it's going yeah, to. Yeah, nobody understands you. And, and exactly. There's, yeah, new stressors and exactly. new hormones to shake up those stressors. And Exactly. Yeah. And so the vampire can protect you. The vampire can be there, can make sure harm doesn't come to you. You can deal with your own shit. Yeah. And it's going to be there to protect all of the outside forces. Yeah. Um, so I think that that, is definitely something that can tie a teenager to a vampire really quickly. Now, so then, but then my question becomes where where I I draw some questions and potential problematic ones. Why should we as a society reinforce that idea in teen minds? If we already know that that's what teenagers are going through. Mm-hmm. Why do we think that it's a good idea to reinforce to them that they need protection and that that protection can't come from within? I have no idea. Good Lord. <laughs> Not to get no, really deep. I, no, I want to I want to dive into that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. Mhm. Yes, that's feel that feels like what we're doing. We're we're basically Saying, oh, you feel like you need protected? Here, let me serve it to you Mm -hmm. on a silver platter rather than give you the tools to work through those emotions and realize you can be your own protector. Yeah. That, I have a lot of questions about why we're doing that. Even though I ate it up like it was freaking chicken fingers. (laughs) But I don't know that that was a great thing for me. So it, 
So it was like a false sense of security then. Yeah. Because when and you grow up, you realize, hey, Edward's not going to yeah, protect you. Yeah, you retreated into the fantasy mm-hmm. and also retreated from um, your own strength. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Huh. So the vampires became your crutch. Vampires became your crutch and you were told at a young age that you needed someone to protect you rather than being told that you were enough all along. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of questions about that. Yeah, that's going to have to be uh, that's going to have to be its own episode <laughs> because then I can go in. There's there is a particular scene or or theme in Twilight. Now, I was I was on the older side mm-hmm. with Twilight. So I, I never read them. I, I, some of my friends did and, and that kind of thing. But uh, again, I'll, everything for me goes back to movies. So I've sure, seen the sure. movies. Of but course, of course. I feel like this theme was also in the books. When she tries to throw herself off cliffs and shit to get, um, just to get hints of Edward to see him. She wants to yes. get near death to be able to feel his presence and, what correct no i i do have twilight down here which i'm not doing a deep dive tonight and perhaps maybe we should at some point we're gonna have to but um there are are a lot of problems and i ate these things up when i was Mm -hmm. a child and now i'm like oh man because yes Yes. she does but i'll I'll, i I will i digress i will get there because that deserves its own conversation (laughs) for sure but so yes so vampires are hard to kill and they're a constant. Um, the other reason I think they're particularly attractive to teenagers are this otherworldly romance angle, right? So these vampires in many of these stories are very old. They, they come from different centuries, mm-hmm. typically different continents. Mm-hmm. So they've been around the world. Yeah. They've seen all of these eras we've only read about in history books. They've been there. They've experienced it. They've seen it. And so there's a sense of they chose me. They've lived across the, the world. They've lived across the ages. And I'm special. Mm-hmm. They chose me. And it's Bella that he smells from across the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that resonates emotionally because at that point, again, horm- hormones, puberty, yeah, you want to feel special. You want to feel yeah. accepted. Exactly. You want to feel accepted. You want something. Yeah. Why, again, are we reinforcing that need for validation? Why are we reinforcing? Well, but did this? you feel that when you were reading those books? Did no, I felt like, oh, she's so special. And you came, to, I mean, you're a really self-assured woman now. You came to that even having eaten all that up. That's true. So maybe we're overthinking that piece. Maybe we are. I don't know. It. I don't I, know. I honestly don't know. I honestly um, don't know either. But if they serve a purpose in you know a young kid's life then when they grow up that can be the thing they talk about on a podcast that yeah here's what i remember here's what resonated with me and here's why it's problematic which is exactly what you're doing right so we got to have a whole episode on this this is really this is fascinating i know i know i have more questions all right here here are more themes for the for this podcast we're going to do okay uh vampires they evoke a certain mood 
obviously. Yes. So they're dark. They're mm-hmm. usually brooding, mm-hmm. right? They're in the corner in the shadows. They're oh, miserable, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing. <laughs> and so there's obvious connections there. This is my question. Again, this is a huge question <laughs> we probably won't be able to answer tonight. But what is the responsibility of an author in writing a certain style for the teen audience. So what I mean by that is, if you're an author and you specialize in adolescent fiction, and I, I would be fascinated to talk to some authors in adolescent fiction, because I want to know, like, what is the sense of responsibility you feel toward acknowledging that your primary reader is in a certain biological space in life? Yeah. And that, you have to to you have to kind of balance this line of you don't want to reinforce bad things, but mm-hmm. you also want to make them feel validated. That I can't imagine that. Well, I I feel like from a certain standpoint, there should be a sense of responsibility for that because that is the that's the audience you've chosen to write for. Right. So uh, respect the audience respect that right you have to yeah well and i would think maybe in in some of the back of the in the back of some of these authors minds is if i write this wrong a a, a kid could misinterpret it a kid this yeah. could scar a kid that's a big task it to is. take on voluntarily yeah yeah so i, I would have... hope they have a sense of some responsibility yeah um and i and i think most most writers in that in that genre are very thoughtful people are very oh, sure yeah. so you would have to i mean you would have to be yeah in order to kind of write some of these um themes anyway but yeah i just i'm so intrigued by that and intrigued by what the what the process for that is mm-hmm. well let me ask this what um what ages were twilight written for um, I would probably peg it as anywhere from 13 to probably 17. So if we, um, if we think about her in terms of that question you just asked, I think there was, there were some things she did in there that were highly irresponsible. Yeah. But you know, somebody, somebody else might argue, well, so what? It's not up to her how a kid interprets it. But when you're dealing with that... When, you, when you're when you knowingly... When, yeah, when you're knowingly dealing with, with a genre of, of reader who are in that precarious yes. biological place. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It has to be a consideration. I mean, that's just... I would hope that it's a consideration. Yeah. So, um, okay, one last one is... And I'm I, sorry to keep harping on Twilight. It's just... Oh, no. And that's one that I want to talk about. Yeah, and that's only... one that I loved dearly. Uh-huh. And I still think it's kind of fun. Uh-huh. But I think that um, there are problems. There are problems in a lot of these things, you know. And I think, oh, yeah. you know, you have to recognize that. Uh-huh. You have to recognize. Doesn't doesn't mean that it's any less of a fun read. Sure. It just means that there are problems with it. Yep. Um, so the last one, I th- tie that I think a vampire has to a teenager is um, there's safety in the supernatural. Psychological safety is what I want to pinpoint here because we talked a little bit about the physical safety already. But um, there is a uh, – if you're experiencing it by reading it mm-hmm. and you're experiencing it and the perfect – person is supernatural is a <laughs> vampire is a, is a ghost 
it's satisfying that kind of yearning a lot of teenagers have for companionship and validation Mm -hmm. but it's also satisfying the fear of being let down because they don't exist they can't let you down yeah it's in a book it can't let you or they're so perfect they're so unrealistic expectations Mm -hmm. of relationships yeah and what did we set up what 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 have we set up there i don't know Lots of questions. And that is what I was into when <laughs> I was a teen, which was, uh, you know, something. Let me share with you a few of the, the kind of stories or books, you know, series. Yes, for sure. Um, I'm really curious about what, what there was at that time because yeah. I was in grad school. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorites um, was the Den of Shadows Quartet. Uh, which is actually the one you picked up. So that's uh, by Amelia Atwater Rhodes. Um, And there are four books in that kind of series. So it's the, uh, well, actually there are a lot of books in the Den of Shadows, but the four that I'm focusing on, uh, In the Forests of the Night, Demon in My View, Shattered Mirror, and Midnight Predator um, are the four that make up the quartet. Um, and, and why they, they are all kind of lumped together, because they're different stories. That's not all one big story. They're different stories, but they kind of share characters. Okay. Um, they focus on supernatural creatures, obviously. They have similar, like, you know, obviously romantic love storylines. Um, and, and they involve all sorts of supernatural creatures. So you've got vampires, you've got witches, shapeshifters. What's so cool about this series, and I think why it resonated with me so hard, is she was around 14 when she wrote it. I was just reading <laughs> the about the author, the In the Forest yes. of the Night. She was 13, yeah. and Demon in My View was written when she was 15. Yeah. She was named one of the 20 teens who will change the world by teen people. Yes, and th- these were highly well-regarded books. Book list, Publishers Weekly, mm-hmm. uh, praised Demon in My View as a book readers will drain in one big gulp. And Holy let me tell shit. you, I did. I absolutely did do that. Wow, that, it, that's fantastic. I like that great? story. Yeah. And I think that's what made them work for me is that it was someone similar in age to me writing this story. Mm-hmm. So it, they knew what you wanted, what you needed, the mm-hmm. story, you know, they knew through everything. the eyes of and brain of somebody who wanted the same thing. Exactly. That is a game changer. Isn't that a game changer? Holy shit. That's really neat. And I think that's why she found so much success. And she's still, uh, to what I can find, writing. And she wrote a lot more than just the the, the Den of Shadows. Yeah. Um, and a, some of her other stuff is really cool. There's like a bird-themed um, series that she did, which was really awesome. Uh, but she just was really cool writing about this stuff. And I think that is why I resonated so heavily with that. And it also felt like a lot of these questions we're asking tonight about how problematic is it, um, that sort of thing. That This series, The Den of Shadows, feels the least problematic to me. And okay. I think that that might be because it was written from a 14-year-old's perspective. <laughs> it was more digestible, I guess yeah. you could say. 
So The Den of Shadows, I would highly recommend that these books you'll read in one go, I promise you. And they're fun. They're really good books. And they're kind of the quintessential books, I would say, of the paranormal romance genre. I'm impressed by this this person, mm-hmm. Amelia Atwater Rhodes. Yeah, she's great. She is absolutely great. Well, and it says here she loves Harley Davidson, so I'm on board. So you're on board. There you go. So that's cool. That's the Den of Shadows and Amelia Atwater Rhodes. Highly recommend. Um, I have to. Okay. <laughs> I have to. This is my favorite series. Okay. I uh, I consumed this series like candy. Like it was those root beer barrels like it was Ew, why'd you pick root beer barrels I was, thinking, How old are I was you? actually thinking of those strawberry candies with the gooey center oh yeah church candy church candy yeah. oh, I consumed it like church candy <laughs> I <laughs> I'm telling you okay the series is called vampire kisses by Ellen Schreiber okay okay so there are about I think nine or so books in the series um the synopsis okay the synopsis of this series is the main character is a young lady by the name of raven who is a hot topic goth chick oh i mean big shocker yeah and she falls in love with the mysterious wait for this alexander sterling oh oh and you know how she meets Alexander Sterling? He, he and his very strange family move into the long abandoned mansion that's sitting atop the hill in her town. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that she thinks something strange is going on and she's going to investigate. And it turns out Alexander is a vampire. Dun, 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 dun. And also they live in a town that she calls Dollsville. It's like literally a teenage dream. It is like my definition, like who I was as a human mm-hmm. is written into this novel. Um, it is just so fun. It is every caricature of the hot topic goth in the early 2000s. <laughs> and it is worth a read because i will tell you this is another one you pick it up it'll be done in in an hour or two like it is so just all consuming and fun um and the the author ellen schreiber she's also pretty um popular she's gotten on some lists and she's continued to write beyond vampire kisses i believe uh but she's she's super fun and um i would highly recommend this series i am gonna go back through it because you know there's vampire kisses uh anime i didn't know there was anime yeah okay well i'm gonna have to Ooh. yeah and like uh there's something going on here that oh. must be raven and alexander raven and alexander um reading the sassy magazine reading sassy magazine <laughs> learning all about <laughs> learning what sassy about magazine's the- telling them. <laughs> yeah that's right that's uh, right wow yeah so that was a fun that was a super fun series for sure um, that one, I mean, there are definitely, I would say that one's a little more, are you, Antimic is scrolling through the different kind of like titles uh, from Vampire Kisses, which apparently from, the anime from is From the like anime, yeah. Really wow. well defined. But 
I will say Vampire Kisses. I have to say, even though this is near and dear to my heart, my favorite one, highly recommend, it's more problematic than the Amelia Atwater Road series. And I will say only because Raven, Raven is very independent. Mm -hmm. She is, you know, she will tell you off in a heartbeat. She still kind of is, she um, would do anything for him. She would turn into a vampire for him. I mean... That's the kind of thing that I, I question a lot of these authors about is why why does the female character always have to give so much? Yeah, that's true. They do. They're why? the ones. Yeah. Yeah. Why does that always have to happen? I, I'm totally down with the romance part, but mm-hmm. like why is it always the female character giving more yeah. than the male character? It's a really good question. So, um, So that's Vampire Kisses. The last, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it sounds like we'll probably want to go into way more detail in the future, but I have to mention Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to be talking vampire paranormal romance. Um, So, I mean, a lot of people are going to know this, but essentially the story centers on Bella and Edward. Mm -hmm. Edward is a vampire. Bella is a human. um, And they have a budding romance in Forks, Washington. Um, and the story kind of just follows that budding romance. And there's all sorts of vampires and werewolves yeah, and things. all sorts of things. So let me ask the question then of this. You love, how, how did you feel about the adaptations? The movies? Mm-hmm. I didn't like the movies as much as I liked the books for sure. Okay. For sure. What about the casting? I hated the casting. You did? That is why I hated the movies. Okay. In fact, I would say. I felt the casting was cheap. Okay. Which might be a really hot, heated thing for me to say, <laughs> but it did feel really cheap. Cheap? How? What do you mean by that? Um, I just don't know that any of those characters were well acted. Like, okay. Um, Ro- so for instance, Robert Pattinson. I have seen him in so many things, and he is a brilliant actor. Okay. I would argue mm-hmm. Robert Pattinson is a brilliant actor. Mm-hmm. His Edward, he it all does feel really cardboard. Now doesn't that you it? say that it, he like it was like he smelled a pe- it was like he was smelling shit the whole time like it just like it felt so yeah and i know he was trying to play restrained but it was just like silly yeah and and i feel like uh, a lot of the people that were cast as his family did that same sort of mm-hmm. trope and Chris, I've liked Kristen Stewart in other roles. Yeah, I think she's super cool, but... I did not like her as Bella. Yeah, if I would have only ever known about her as Bella, I would not like her. Right. Yeah, but I've liked her in a lot of other things. It just felt like... There, I mean, there's a lot of problem in these books, but it felt like the, the, the route that whoever made that and I, I i guess i can't blame it on the actors they can only act what script they're given right that's true that's so you, true you can't blame it on them and they're all obviously talented mm-hmm. um so you can't blame it on them at all it, it, it's just whatever they were given was kind of cheesy mm-hmm. in, yeah. in my opinion and um so were they um I, i'm sorry i'm taking you so far out of the book um no but i I like to relate back to the, the movies course, and the adaptations. Of course. But uh was it was it true to the vision of the book? Um, yes. Except I would say the book is a little warmer hmm. than okay. the movies felt. The movies felt very cold, very they they took the Forks Washington gray wash, um 
kind of stark lighting and contrast thing and they went not only for that imagery wise but also i i would argue tone wise okay. of the whole movie mm-hmm. whereas in the book like there are fun playful moments mm-hmm. and there's there's so much with bella and her dad in mm. the books and like this warmth there and mm-hmm. in this like warmth with her and her mom mm-hmm. and um she's a character in the books and it feels like she's just like a figure in the movie and i yeah i just had a lot of problems with how they they interpreted the books but the books themselves i mean they were true to the fact that bella bent over backwards for edward and you know like yeah. there were so many problematic things i mean yeah that's i mean that's exactly what's happening in the books definitely mm-hmm. um she is changing her whole world for this human she's just met and aban- i would argue abandoning her family yeah, for this that's person true. she's just met and willing to give up her humanity so willing well to be fair if i met a vampire i would want to be a vampire too i would too i mean i would too so i'm not going to fault her for that one but but we're of a certain age deciding that oh touche Mm -hmm. check and mate Mm -hmm. which (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're absolutely right we are Mm -hmm. so i i think there are fun things with this series and there are not so fun things with this series but i would say you know I would recommend if you're an adult mm-hmm. and you were into paranormal romance, but you didn't happen to pick up Twilight, it's worth a read. Okay. Um, I don't know that I'd recommend it to teens, though, because I don't know if it does more harm than good. But yeah, so that was my kind of teenage experience with the paranormal romances. Um, <laughs> again, I'd recommend any of those series. They're fun. Um, so yeah, it's paranormal romance for you. That's that a glimpse. Fascinating. That's a glimpse into the witch. It just wasn't wasn't what I was thinking about when you said paranormal romance, Mm-mm. and I don't know why I wasn't thinking that. I mean, vampires are paranormal, sure, but um, yeah, I was thinking of like, uh, oh god, a teen angel or something where oh. the nineteen fifties, the dude dies. Yeah, teen angel. Yeah, I think that so. It's called. I think it is, and he comes that back, rings a bell. <laughs> something so, anyway yeah. that's what i was thinking about so what others do you have okay so list? weirdly as much as i loved all that horror stuff and and i was not a i don't think i was broody oh. i think i was just you know i've always just kind of been you know the same me yeah sure weird and rogue and feral and yeah i love that ready to fuck shit up fuck some shit up um <laughs> <laughs> my god um so i just uh this won't go on super super long but um i uh thought about after i after fangoria and i you know did my research on that i started to think okay that kind of opened up my brain because at first i'm yeah. like oh my god teen angsty stuff i don't know so i just kind of didn't do the teen angsty thing because that just really wasn't my thing sure but, um it, it opened my brain to other things that I'd read. My mom read to me every night when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were books that really resonated with me. And then I started thinking, okay, so when you're in seventh and eighth grade and 
um, racy literature, and by racy literature, I mean Sassy Magazine. <laughs> sassy. I am going to get my hands <laughs> on a copy of Sassy Magazine. Um, yeah, being passed around. So that kind of racy, seventh and eighth grade levels of racy. Um, and one of the ones that went around that I remember is uh, Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews. Yes. Um, that came out in 1979, the first one. Um, there are... And someone s- tell me, was that a TV made-for-TV movie? It was... It, there have been a couple versions of Flowers in the Attic. Um, I feel like it was on Lifetime. Well, it probably was. It probably... Cause, and then they made um, Petals, uh, Petals on the Wind is the second one and they also made that into a uh made for tv movie hmm. um and that might have been lifetime that has to be little known fact about the witch i mm-hmm. love shitty lifetime movies <laughs> i like the ones the um murderous teen or murderous teens and and the murderous cheerleaders and shit yes. like that those are fun like what the hell this is great this is great and terrible and great. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I just watched I one recently, uh, uh, the Betty Broderick story, where her husband, you know, she's she stays with him all through the schools and till he finally mm-hmm. becomes this uh, high paid lawyer, mm-hmm. and then he leaves her for a younger chick, and she just she fucks his world up. Ah, uh, and then she kills him. This was a big court case in the '90s. Um, she's still in prison, but anyway, um. It's the Dollenganger series. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Okay. But there were several other books in it, but this was the first one. Um, So just the highlight of it. The mom um, goes deep into debt after uh, the death of the husband. So she takes her kids to live with her wealthy parents that she's been estranged from for years. Okay. Um, And the kids are snuck in and put in a room by the attic to um, snuck in around her grandfather. Uh, or, or, I'm sorry, her father, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because they don't want him to know that these kids are there. So at first the mom visits, um, the kids are making the best of it, um, but it really goes south right. um, pretty quick. The grandmother constantly is abusive to them and threatens them, and eventually the mom kind of stops coming around, and the whole point is she keeps telling them, as soon as I win back uh, my father's love, I will introduce you, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out, the reason they're hidden and all of that is because they are products of incest. God. Yeah. So uh, a lot of, you know, stuff goes on and they just kind of uh, retreat into their, their themselves in this attic and they're trying really hard to be normal, but obviously it's not working. So, you know, eventually these delicious sugary donuts show up with this delicious powdered sugar mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they're actually being poisoned. So oh, they're going to, you know, yeah. they're going to just take the kids out altogether. And this and the mom is going to start over. Um, and the incest continues. Um, it's kind of one of the weird like petals in the wind is them still living together and the brother and sister living as husband and wife. Um, but needless to say, this book was super taboo when I was a kid. Yeah. And it passed around and reading those passages you know, was this book geared towards, did it have an audience? That I don't know. Um, I can't imagine that it was a, if this was a teen book, I, I don't know. It doesn't, I guess with that. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter because what a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. Just speaking about oh things that 
um, that were sinister yes. that I read when I was a kid when that passed around in you know middle school. Yeah, it's like what I mean. I I mean there are layers of yeah, you know, and and luckily and thankfully I didn't know what incest meant. Right, and, you know, so it's like. We're trying to process these things in the corner of the band room. But that that is a, a specific kind of horror. And it is horror. Um, so. Oh, it's it's the scariest horror. It's the scariest kind of horror. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, so I'll, I'll lighten it up here a little bit. And these are just some of the other ones that, that I love. But I want, I felt like I needed to mention that one. Because it was so prevalent when I was yeah. a teen. Yeah. Um, one book that I still have. Um, and it is uh, littered. The, it's wrecked, and it is littered with uh, the graffiti of my childhood. I, I mean, all the shit that I wrote in this book. But it was called Secrets of the Shopping Mall. Okay. Um, and it was by Richard Peck. Okay. Um, and so a couple of eighth graders are uh, on the run from this gang called the King Cobra Gang. And they realize they don't really have much to go home to. Their home lives are not great. So they decide they're going to run away. And how far can we get on $2 a bus fare? So um, exactly how far they got was Paradise Park in New Jersey. Now, their little kid minds thought, ooh, a park. This will be great. Um, Mm. uh, But it was actually a a giant shopping mall in New Jersey. Uh. So they go in, but they immediately fall in love with the place. It's colorful. It's clean. It's climate controlled. Uh, You know, they they make a deal of that. Um, And so they end up wandering into this really fancy store. It's called Ford's and Leadsmar. It's eight floors of total luxury. Um, Wait. Eight, eight floors floors how it was like the lazarus downtown was oh the that's floors, fair right? that's fair that's fair yeah um because that's what i thought too i'm like wait and then i'm like oh yeah um so they decide they're gonna stay they're gonna make a go of it and they're just gonna live there okay uh so they sleep for the first night under a mattress and over time this is very romero of you <laughs> shopping mall (laughs) yeah this is very romero holy shit i didn't even put that together (laughs) yeah i did not even put that together yeah i wonder i want i mean oh there's that that's your favorite movie right yeah i would assume Hmm. there's a connection holy crap I, yeah, because I read this book over and over We're just and breaking was enthralled. Psychoanalytic we barriers. We are. Tonight. Holy shit. I was enthralled with the mall. The mall is always its own character. Yeah. Always. Whenever it appears, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. least in the couple things that I sure. just mentioned. But right. anyway, right. Right. <laughs> um, so they start studying the night watchmen and then the daytime security. Um, and they're just, they're just going to live there. Um, but soon things kind of start to feel weird to them. Um, They feel like they're being watched. Um, So one night they venture out to get some, get some clothes for the boy and they get, uh, they get grabbed and bound and gagged by a couple of seemingly store mannequins. But it turns out there have actually been, uh, there's, there's like a community of kids already living in there who came from nothing and found this place as their home. So they are, there are like their own little society in there. Wow. And they're, they call themselves, um, the store people store people. And, um, 
they're very protective of their little community and uh, obviously they don't want these two interlopers they're you know very right. what the hell are you doing here right and they they dress like mannequins so they can be on lookout um and one of the things that's just really creepy they speak in such low tones that it's hard to understand what they're saying so that they can speak and just hear each other but the, anybody they've who might like, be around they've like evolved they have evolved and adapted uh they're like cave people or like you know deep in the cave what? you know like the descent yeah. the things in the cave that were blind and yeah. yeah so they've adapted to living here so um oh. and they're constantly in a fight with uh, a group of teens who hang out in the parking lot and they call them the mouth breeders um, Which is so teen. Yeah. That's but, such a teen thing. <laughs> so, you know, they um, they want to put these two on trial for interloping and uh-huh. and coming in. And then um, right when they're when they're trying to do that, uh, all hell breaks loose with the mouth breathers. That's what they call them. Mm-hmm. And um, the one girl, the new girl, kind of helps save the day a little bit by hitting the sprinkler system or something like that. Gotcha. But anyway, I'm not going to get say anything else. But it is it is so much fun. And I read it constantly. Um, and there, there was graffiti. They, when they described the the high school that they went to as this just dystopian hellscape. Yeah. And she wasn't even, the girl wasn't even ever sure she was in the right classroom because scrawled over the, the door number, um, was the graffiti Ratso loves Charlene. (laughs) Every once in a while, still to this day, I'll think in my head, Ratso loves Charlene for no reason. I love that. (laughs) So um secrets, what was that one again Se- secrets of the shopping, secrets mall, of the shopping mall by richard okay. peck okay <laughs> you might I even be able it. to find a pdf of it somewhere i, I mean read it i mean for who sure. knows for sure um now the rest i'll just just say a couple of brief things um Benicula mm. and the celery stocks at midnight are both by james howe Benicula is so yeah good. uh the main character okay Benicula is a vampire bunny so good um, he sucks the blood out of vegetables and, so and that turns them white. <laughs> so um, and the caption on the front cover of this book says, today, vegetables, tomorrow, the world. So then the celery stalks at midnight. Um, it, it, there, there's a series of four, one of them, Holiday Inn, and then there was another one. But I don't, I don't remember the other two. I, I mainly remember these. But it was a, a little series of books about these, you know, um, these little characters who would do these adventures and, yeah. you know, find Benicula. And, uh, right. But in the Celery Stocks at Midnight, uh, Ahel, Benicula, is missing. Oh, no. So the heroes of the story are just convinced that the veggies, all the veggies are in danger of being drained of their life juices and turning into zombies. Oh, um, no. So they're running around sticking little wooden toothpicks through the hearts of lettuce and any other veggies in sight. To preempt. I love that. I mean, that is hilarious. I love that so much. <laughs> uh, two others, just little honorable mentions, A Wrinkle in Time by mm-hmm. Madeline Langle. So good. Um, that is a creepy classic for sure. Um, my mom read that to me a few times when I was younger. Yeah, that's such a good book. Um, but the heroine's dad is trapped on this crazy planet um, uh, of extreme conformity. Mm-hmm. And it's ruled by this evil... Um, telepathic disembodied brain mm-hmm. um, and she goes on these this crazy quest to find him yeah it's so, so good it's so so good, so good. Um, I did not see the movie that they made about it did you no and that was I want I 
recently. Not really. Kind of recently, <laughs> I guess you could call it. But no, I didn't see it. No. I kind of feel like I should watch it. I mean, Oprah's I really good. Reese Witherspoon. Right. And Chris Pine's in it. It's like, a good it, cast. It has a good cast. Uh, oh, gosh. Mindy Kaling. Yeah. God, I love her. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last one, Bridge to Terabithia mm-hmm. um, by Katherine Patterson. Mm-hmm. This one was scary to me because it addressed sudden death yes and um the suddenness of death yes and when you're young you don't really have a if if you're lucky you don't have a lot of experience right with death right um so the just the the quick quick and dirty is two friends create this vast imaginary kingdom and rule it as king and queen and then um the girl leslie um she falls to her death after swinging from a loose rope or something um but I remember that movie, that book, that book scared me. Yeah. You know, because then you start applying it to, to what life. little you know of life yeah. and who your life is yep. and the, the satellites that revolve yep. around you, which is mom and dad. And, Correct. Yep. Yep, um, yep. Yep. So anyway. Yeah. Definitely terrifying. Yeah. Definitely terrifying. <laughs> so that's that's that for me. I love that because you picked a lot of books that I, at first glance, wouldn't have categorized as horror, but after hearing you talk about mm-hmm. them, they are definitely horror. Different, yeah, different levels of- Different just, levels of horror, yeah. but they are horror books. Yes. I mean, really. <laughs> yeah. They are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much. Um so much i love this i love diving down the nostalgia <laughs> hole i do too hashtag nostalgia hole. <laughs> hashtag nostalgia hole well you know just thinking books i mean and i talk i talk uh, at nauseum about movies but i mean there are books that they get inside you and they yes. help these these books were some of the books that helped define my childhood and helped create my own creativity yes um yes and and they are they're not they're not horror in the traditional sense but each of them represents something that scares me or scared me as a kid absolutely so absolutely um i feel like i have to do a shameless plug right now uh if you follow us on instagram which you should if you do not uh we have been promoting uh, we do a Goosebumps book club. Oh, yes. Which we didn't talk about Goosebumps tonight because we've talked about that in past uh, past episodes. Like we did a whole episode about Goosebumps. Yeah, we did. I mean, it was quite an extensive conversation about Goosebumps before. So, um, but we do a whole Goosebumps book club where we are mm-hmm. diving back into <laughs> the Goosebumps books um, and spending a whole month and get together via zoom and talk about it and mm-hmm. all sorts of fun stuff. And it's completely free and just a fun time to kind of get to get to know our horror nerds and for you guys mm-hmm. get to get to know us, um, and, and chat some goosebumps and you can get, by the way, you can get all of the goosebumps. I've been using the Libby app. Um, hmm. I've been listening to them. Um, Oh Yeah. So it's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Just like through your local library, you can get them for ebooks. And I've just been listening to them while I, you know, take walks or hmm. do whatever. Um, nice. So it's super, uh, sup- been super fun so far. So we would love to have more of you join us. So we have information about it on our website. Um, so check us out there. And then we are always um, kind of blasting it up on our Instagram. So if you follow us there, you'll kind of get the, the insider tips on how to be involved with that. So I just wanted to do a quick plug because it seems to mesh really well with yeah, what we're talking perfect. about tonight. Perfect. Yeah. Are, are we ready to what the hell? I am so ready to what the hell. Okay. So 
I'm going to just go ahead and go here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I was, I was kind of at a loss because, you know, some weeks you're just sort of tapped out. And I think the pandemic is tapping me out. I know. So I wasn't feeling really creative. But then I thought, okay, so what are some strange death facts? Um, We're all dying pretty much from the moment we're conceived. We are, technically. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's deep, right? Um, That's what she said. um, Such nostalgia. (laughs) Hashtag nostalgia hole. Um, So such a delightful thought. Um, Okay, so here we go. Number one, within three days of death, the enzymes in your digestive system start digesting your body. What? How do they just not do it anyway? What? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Three months after death. Three days. Three days. Sorry, sorry. Too much sparkling. <laughs> yeah, why don't they just do it anyway? I don't know. Okay, two. Your sense of hearing is the last thing to go when no, you die. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Um, in some cases, a corpse can develop corpse wax, which We've can preserve. Yeah, that's right. We've we did about corpse wax. I thought that sounded familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, but please continue. No, that was it. Um, it can preserve human remains for mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than seven thousand people die annually from doctors' bad handwriting. So they get the wrong prescriptions. Probably wrong prescriptions. Wrong orders. Ah. Oh. Okay, mm-hmm. physicians out there, get it the fuck together. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah, what the, exactly? What the oh hell? Oh my God. Okay, last one. A human head will remain conscious for about 20 seconds after decapitation. No. And I'm, you're still hearing. Again, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Con- what does that, what does conscious, conscious mean? If you're just a head? If you're just a head. Well, but isn't your whole entire conscience in your brain? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. That's horrible. Yeah. That's horrible. Oh, that was... <laughs> All right. Hit me. All right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what to say after that. Okay. I went with vampires. <laughs> uh this is a new a new realm for me because apparently Stephanie Meyer explained the science behind why her vampires sparkle. What? Yeah. Here's why her vampires sparkle. Uh they so apparently they have a very rough skin texture. And the reason they have this rough skin is because there's no blood flowing. Within a vampire. So, okay. Fine. I get it. Whatever. And to kind of further address that, if you have seen Twilight or if you've read any of the books, they literally break when they die. Like, they mm. fall, crumple, break. Okay. Um, so, that, that okay, that tracks. Fine. Your skin is rough. I get it. Um, so, apparently, it's so rough that it has transformed, like the cells of their skin have transformed into these tiny prisms that reflect light, which makes them sparkle. Is that possible? Well, now. It's not possible, but it 
is what Stephanie Meyer thinks is possible. All right. Well, I mean, I don't hate that explanation. Like, it's a good explanation, but, like, I hate when it's, like, a weird fact is happening in a book and then you decided this is the reason why. Did you really decide that's the reason why or did you make up something after people are like, what the heck? That's a good point. <laughs> that's a really good point. <laughs> She's like, oh, fuck. Yeah, let me explain that one. That is a really good point. I, yeah. I don't hate that explanation, though. No, I and, mean, and frankly, honestly, I didn't even really hate the sparkle thing. It just, you know, vampires are these ethereal beings. Yeah. Why? Maybe they do sparkle. Maybe they do sparkle. I don't know. I, I mean, I, 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 yeah, that's fine. If they want, if, if you want to sparkle, that's fine. Yeah, whatever. Do whatever you need to do. Is what I say. Yeah. Sparkle on. Sparkle on. Hashtag sparkle on. Sparkle on. <laughs> so we have gone down. Oh, shoot boy. We are, we're, we've gone down the nostalgia hole. The nostalgia okay. hole. So. It's deep. <laughs> it's a deep hole. <laughs> um, thank you, Horror Nerds, mm. for sticking in with us, for uh, for listening in about all of our nostalgia and, and our angst be it teen or otherwise. Do you all have any of those? Any of those books that, that still just resonate yeah. with you from your childhood? Yeah. We would love to know. I w- yeah, I would really, yeah. What they are because I want to read them. Mm-hmm. More. I really yeah. do. Um, so you can find us at info at com. So send us any books that you would recommend us read mm-hmm. um, or books that just really resonated with you at an early age. Um, you can also check us out on our Instagram, that's at the Horror Salon. And like I said, we've got fun stuff going on there. Contests, our book club, and then also just insider information as to what we're doing during the week. Yeah, uh, I'm starting to take insider photos. Insider photos? I mean, they're highly riveting. Riveting photos? Yeah. You'll want to get on there. You really will. You really will. Um, and then of course, follow us on our website. We always have really good show notes going up after these podcast episodes air and they'll give you the links to all of the stuff that we're talking about. So you can go on your own deep dives. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is the horrorsalon.com. And then finally, we are so happy that you're sticking around with us and listening and we're hope, hoping that you're having a fun time. Um, we would so appreciate if you'd share with another horror nerd in your yep. life, be it a friend or just colleague or whomever <laughs> it is. Um, we'd love you to to yep. share our podcast with them and then also to subscribe wherever you tune into podcasts and throw us a like, comment, review. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of it helps us get in front of the eyes of so many more lovely horror nerds. Yeah, like we just want to sit and talk about nonsense, horror, fun. Yeah. And we want to do it with you. And we want to do it with you. So yeah, we would appreciate any support you can give. That would be awesome. So with that. Are we ready? We're ready. The My Last Fuck Candle. <laughs> oh, no. That oh, went no. into your eyes. It went directly into my retina. <laughs> is out. The Pazoo's, <laughs> the Pazoo's is emptied, but the sparkling wine is not. But will be soon. It will be. Thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, thank you. Yes. Uh, I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. We'll catch you next time at the Horror Salon, where we curate the strange and unusual. My eye smells like lavender. Until dawn do us part.
monsters, it's the witch. And Anne Demick. Music for this episode is Rage by the 126ers. Check out our website for show notes and links to some cool extras. Later, nerds.